Hey guys, welcome to another T-Rex Talk YouTube Live. So, real fast, uh, I want to introduce everyone who's here. So, uh, I'm Lucas, the uh, founder of T-Rex Arms. I'm here with uh, my oldest brother, Isaac, who is the chief technical officer of the company. Uh, my brother, David, uh, who's the CFO, so he manages the money and payroll and all that stuff that uh, many of us don't understand. And the strategy. And the, the strategy, strategy as yeah. well. Uh, but we're joined this week with our father, uh, Jeffrey Botkin, and we're going to be talking about some of the things that we appreciated about our dad in bring, you know, uh, raising us and teaching us uh, various life principles that we have taken forward into running T-Rex Arms and that David and Isaac is, have also taken uh, having their own families and having their own children. I don't have any children, at least not yet. Uh, there is a, one thing that I want to talk about uh, real fast, kind of bring you guys up to speed about my dad. Uh, my dad used to work in uh, politics in Washington, D.C. Uh, back in the 80s and the 90s, and he was able to do some pretty cool stuff back then we may be able to talk about. And what he does right now is he is a, uh, he counsels for a lot of people and he also does humanitarian consulting and he's also on the board uh, here at T-Rex Arms and he's an advisor to all of us on various matters. Uh, he helps us negotiate some things and he also helps keep us in check. Uh, he also helps keep me in check and helps keep me accountable and that's something I very much appreciate that he's been doing now for years, quite a while. So uh, there's one thing that I would like to start off with uh, talking about Something I'm really grateful for that my father did for me. Uh, when I started, this is kind of going to T-Rex Arms. When I started the company seven years ago, it was obviously in its it was very infancy stage. I had no money. It was tiny. I was selling stuff on eBay. But the thing that I really appreciate about my parents is they didn't tell me, oh, you can't do this. You need to go do what everyone else does. You need to go get a job, go to college. They didn't squish my dream of starting my own company, but rather they encouraged me to crunch numbers you know, analyze demographics, research the marketing. And I remember dad, we had conversations where I would, I'd be real excited about like, oh, well I can make this holster and I can sell it for $80. And dad would go, well, if you actually crunch the numbers, are you making $2 an hour? Are you actually making $10 an hour? But he didn't just say, ah, you're, you're young, you're stupid, you don't know what you're doing, you should go just do what everyone else does. No, he tried to, uh, you know, talk, talk to me about that whole process, educate me on it, and also encourage me, and my mom did that as well. And that was something that I'm extremely grateful for. It's something that I think our culture uh, doesn't have a lot of anymore, which, and that is supportive parents, supportive mm -hmm. of their children's dreams. And not necessarily just bending over backwards and saying, oh, you're the greatest thing ever, but being able to encourage them and say, hey, this is something you need to think about. This is something you need to look at. You know, this might be a potential problem in this area and actually try to give them, you know, life lessons that are going to affect them as they move forward in life. And that advice that dad uh, was giving me then has definitely played a big role in, you know, obviously running the company and it didn't get run into the ground within the first year, which is where most businesses are. And a lot of that was just due to the conversations I was having with dad at the time, but also, uh, you know, the upbringing beforehand and the education that we had. Um, so Isaac, I know you have a... Some oh yeah, you'd like to talk about as well. So technically, I'm the junior member of T-Rex, but I am the oldest son, and uh, so I wanted to be uh, someone who lets you guys know. I really wanted to take this time to let you get to hear from Dad, but also honor Dad. Uh, so many of you guys have been incredibly supportive of things that you appreciate about T-Rex, things that you appreciate about stances that T-Rex has taken, ways that we've gone about doing things, messages that we've put out, and I want you guys to know that. More or less, basically all of that comes from dad. Um, 
all, all, everything that we have done as a company has come from the mentors in our lives and and in the case of us certainly dad has been the most important mentor by far and i can't really think of that many things in the company that you haven't taught us directly or sometimes indirectly like you didn't teach me how to do cnc machines but all of the how to learn and how to read and discipline yourself and apply yourself to stuff that is stuff that you taught me mm -hmm. so yeah. so even the basic shop stuff um really goes back to things that you and mom uh really put into our lives and then some of the messages some of the goals that we have as a company come from you much more directly yeah mm -hmm. um, we're a six commandment company and we've said that several times but um uh, we want to talk a little bit about the fifth commandment honoring parents and that's something that i hope that we can do right. and then uh and then talk a little bit about some of the lessons that um that you taught us that were really super important so um, I think that that is that's something that I'm looking forward to doing is is mm -hmm. going over some yeah. of those and hopefully that'll be helpful uh, to you guys as well. We've had some amazing opportunities to learn from our dad, um, and now you have uh, an hour, an hour or so. So right, <laughs> make well, the most of it. it. It's interesting you bring it up. Like we never did CNC stuff before manufacturing, but it's actually really interesting that even the very fact that we would go jump into a business that we had never ever done before was basically just doing what our dad had done several times before mm -hmm. yeah. growing up. And we would watch him try stuff that was completely new with no prior training. And, you know, Luke has that characteristic and that quality um, much more than Isaac or I do. And that's why mm -hmm. he founded T-Rex Arms. Um, but, it wasn't, but it was dad's yeah. example. So. Yeah, but dad, so, I know. Yeah. So we, but it's just, <laughs> there's like, no, we never did this before, but that's actually doing something that... The only yeah yeah <laughs> so so when you started your own company it was a media production company and like Lucas said it was in in politics what were some of the reasons for for doing that for leaving uh, a secure job to go and start something that was risky yeah. well there there were a lot of a lot of reasons behind it I mean one primarily if I'm at work at a corporate job I'm not getting to see my children who are growing up. And Isaac, at that time, was how old? Do you remember how old you were when I came home? I actually don't. I, I okay. do know that you spent more hours working, but you were able to have more time with us because we were able to be with you. That's right. right. Yeah. I, so, I remember you were just tirelessly working, whereas before you were gone and then you would come back, and I remember right. that really clearly. And, mm -hmm. it, right. And so the I mean that was one the probably the big reason I wanted to be around my family. I mean mm -hmm. if if we are serious about raising children and this is one thing that you you young men you've got to remember about your mother. I mean you have the most awesome mother. Mm -hmm. And um I wish you know all you guys out there who are contemplating marriage could find somebody like the girl that I married, Victoria. Um and in she's um she realized with me, because when we got married and started having children, we didn't really know what we were doing. We hadn't had special mentors that really mm -hmm. showed us. We, but we realized we wanted to be investing in their lives so that they could be launched into adulthood at the earliest possible time and really be responsible adults. And I remember talking when we were in our 20s. Um, we were married. We were starting to have children. We knew other company couples who were married mm -hmm. and starting to have children. Well, some were not. And we had these conversations. Oh, you're having kids. Why are you having kids? Well, we want to have a family, and so we're going to have children. Why are you not? Well, we, there's no way we could have children. It would be such a wrong thing to do because if you look 
at the, at the landscape of the world, who would bring children into a world like this? And this was, you know, the early 1980s. Isaac was born at the dawn of the Reagan administration. Lucas was born at the dawn of the Clinton administration. Okay, that's kind of how I, I see our family in, in, in light of, of these different chapters in American history with presidential things, because I, I was involved in that. But anyway, these young couples would say, look what Jimmy Carter did to our, our country. I mean, he was the president right prior to Reagan, and he really did ruin a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And things were horrible. I mean, the, the Soviet Union was definitely a stronger military power than the United States at that time. And there was possibility, yes, of nuclear war. And so they were saying, there's no way we're going to bring children into the world. The world is too broken. And our response, and your mother understood this really well, well, why don't we have children who can help fix the world? Okay? And so she had this vision, even when these, you know, these little tiny babies were born that she could hold on her lap, of this young one right here, her first, he can grow up to be someone who can help fix the world. Mm -hmm. and, and so basically by bringing that attitude into the family with every single one of our children, yeah, the world's a mess. Yeah, we could have nuclear war. Yes, we could have all kinds of horrible things happen. Economic collapse, another depression. Terrible things could happen. Mm -hmm. We could have all kinds of new pandemics because of, and the United States, yes, and other countries were involved in researching bio-warfare at that time, you know, even way back then. Mm -hmm. Well... <laughs> Anything can get out of hand. There can be problems. Yes, okay. The world is broken. The world is falling apart. Who's going to fix it? Mm -hmm. Well, one of the examples I wanted to set to my children was, well, Dad will do what he can, whatever right. he can. Mm -hmm. And you, you children need to be growing up so that you can do what you can. You can if, if we have a broken economy, why don't you be the ones who grow up and start businesses that can hire new people and give them jobs, give right. them opportunities? Mm -hmm. And so this, so this is what you grew up learning and hearing, right? right? Okay. Yeah. And then, and so back to your question, why did I want to do this? Well, okay, well, the business that I wanted to start, it could, you know, theoretically have been any business, but what I wanted to start was a business that might have some contribution to fixing the things that were broken in Washington. So the business was a, a political consulting company where I would try to, to the best of my ability, to those who, who would listen, and who would want to know what I heard? And I, you know, when I started, I was just, I was a young kid, but I, you know, I did get favor early on. I think because I was not trying to build an empire. I was not trying to to build something that would glamorize or glorify my name. I was willing to build a very quiet business where I would be totally behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the men that I was consulting with and counseling, and uh, even in the in the Reagan administration, and the in the, um, you know you know, his management team and his cabinet, there were, they, they knew they could trust me with mm -hmm. information. They could trust me with, with uh, things that I could provide to them. Mm -hmm. and, so, and let me just throw in here, uh, I have talked, I had the opportunity growing up to be around some of these men mm -hmm. and have gone back and met some of them in other circumstances. Dad turned down a lot of opportunities to climb the greasy pole or climb the ladder higher because of the principles that he took and mm -hmm. the way that he prioritized his family. I've talked to a number of guys whose names you would know, actually, maybe not, because we have a pretty young audience watching now, yeah. Yeah. but names that were right. in the Washington Times every day telling me, yeah, your dad, you know, could have 
could have done this and could have done that, but he yeah. really wanted to focus on these things. And now that we're old, um, mm -hmm. yeah, that was a smart move of your dad's. That, that's well, actually been brought up by a lot of people. And we've seen a lot of guys that were 110% immersed in Washington, D.C. politics mm -hmm. and did not prioritize their families and their kids. And now they're old men and their families are wherever and they probably don't even have that many political victories they can look back on and say, you know, yep, it was worth sacrificing my relationship yeah. with the kid A because I won this battle. Because they don't even really have those. I mean, at the end of the day, it's still a swamp. It's just, yeah. it, and know, it's a bigger swamp. It's a bigger swamp than it was then even. And, I, you know, I remember um, several years after I had been doing this, my children were growing up, and I had been working with a, a lot of the, the major think tanks in Washington. Who were, I mean, they were coming up with great ideas about how things could be tweaked and fixed, but they were losing their children in the process. Yeah. And I remember uh, when Dr. James Dobson, who, who was part of that circle, came to them one day and said, you know, if we could be honest about what we've been doing, what we've done, we have actually lost the culture war because of this. We haven't been fighting smart. We haven't been fighting well. And... And, and the most tragic thing of all were the children of these great leaders. Some of them were really brilliant strategists, really s smart men who really had the right kind of indignation for evil that was going on in Washington. And they were fighting it every day. But they were losing their children every day, mainly because of who they would give their children to. So, so my wife and I realized early on, okay, there are some certain things that are going to be non-negotiables in our family. I'm, I'm going to come home and I'm going to work with my family, even if we have to do something that, that doesn't create a lot of wealth, okay? But we want to be together and there will be wealth that will be built up in that process. Mm -hmm. And some of what we have today is, I feel like I'm the richest man in the world because of the relationship I have with my children. You know, they, the, and the relationship that they have with one another. They're willing mm -hmm. to work with each other. The yeah. things that they've been able to accomplish together, not just with T-Rex, but in other places too, working together, working side by side, being able to be willing to get advice and counsel from, you know, old mom and old dad, mm -hmm. um, because of respect and honor that they can show to them, it's helped them, and it's helped them accumulate even more of this kind of wealth that really is the important kind. Mm -hmm. So that was a non-negotiable. We wanted that. We've, we've been able to achieve it by God's grace and, and because we, we stuck to it and we made it a priority. We also um, knew that we were not going to throw our children into the government school system, you know, right no. from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And now, that, was, that was right at the beginning of the homeschooling movement too. Mm -hmm. um, yes. For those of you that don't know, homeschooling actually used to be illegal in a whole bunch of states. By the time mm -hmm. I was uh, five or six, I think it was legal everywhere. So it was, it was always mm -hmm. legal where we lived. But it was right. still, there was a lot more stigma than there is today. And we were, we, True. growing yeah. up, we constantly got the, like, oh, how are your kids going to be socialized and how stuff are they like that. Be normal. Right. How could they possibly turn out normal? And I guess the answer is, well, we didn't turn out completely yes, normal. <laughs> no. But like, no. it's like we, we were homeschooled all the way. And it's like, interesting. Dad started this business so he could spend time with us. But one of the really interesting things is, so he has this fairly high, I mean, it's, it's super low profile, but it's fairly high level job consulting in D.C. And the really interesting thing is, almost from as young as I can remember, Dad would have clients come to our house, um, and also he would take us with him to D.C. 
And so we would go and we would meet. Who is Ed Meese again? Oh, okay. Ed Meese, hey, Ed Meese is a a phenomenal, one of the greatest heroes in American history. If you guys don't know who he is, look him up. He he served Ronald Reagan in California, but and then he was he was the transition uh, leader of that team. But then he was the Attorney General of the United States. Yeah. So like, Dad would have an interview with uh, this guy, and at the time, I didn't know who any of these people were. This guy. Yeah. It was just. And, and like dad would, I remember this one very well. Dad said, you know, we need to go interview this guy. It's going to be, you know, he has about a 45 minute um, speech to give to the camera. And instantly in my mind, it's just like, oh no. Because I'm, I was probably 10 or something like that. Like, Sitting there for 45 minutes. Well, no, 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 not 45 minutes. Because I just knew already, you put someone in front of a camera and they can't go more than about 30 seconds without flubbing and uh, needing to start uh, yeah. over and, and you know and backing up and I, so I, just, I heard that I was like we'll be there oh, for all day oh you. no this is going to be forever see, see David knew this from experience because <laughs> it's, age, it's like, hard yeah. to communicate yes you know but it, so like okay. so we go in and you know you know Isaac and I he would take Isaac and me to go do these jobs in DC and so you know we, we would lug the extension cords and the gear and we'd help set up and equipment we'd, we'd, was a ton of weight back then we were like <laughs> Yeah, these these young videographers over here, they don't know how easy they have it. Their tripods weigh only 10 or 15 pounds. Like, yeah, right. We had a tripod that took the two of us to carry. Yes, well, part of that was but, we were very small and weak back then. Now so we're you, just regular yeah, but like, so, size and weak. So we get in there, we get everything set up for Ed Meese, and he goes through the whole thing, his whole presentation, direct to camera, in one take with one little flub in the middle, and just like, this is a professional. And, and, and oh, I just yeah. realized, this guy is amazing. I don't know who he is, but he's amazing. It's so like, Dad would take us. He was not afraid to take us into these places and, and use us. I remember another time, I think it was the steps to the Supreme Court. You dropped Isaac and me off with your camera gear. There was, I think we were next to someone that you knew. Like You told him to watch us. <laughs> Do you remember that, Isaac? No, but this sort of thing would happen right. all the time. Well, and and they were like... <laughs> It was like there were probably 30 camera teams because probably something was about to happen. Yeah. I, don't, I don't remember the details at all. Mm-hmm. But like we're probably 10 and 12 standing we have camera there. Gear. We have this pile of camera gear. And Dad, so I don't know. Who knows how much. Yeah, back then camera gear was not cheap. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so like yeah. this is, Dad <clears throat> said, I want to start a business to work with my kids. And then he actually did it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he actually made, because like a lot of men would be afraid to risk their appearance, you know, in front of an important client by bringing their... 10-year-old kid along, you know, or their 12-year-old or whatever. But dad involved us in that. And the other really interesting thing, now that I look back, and now that I have kids of my own, there was an expectation on dad's part that we would just behave like adults. And it um, it wasn't an irrational expectation. It's just he knew what we were actually capable of doing. Mm -hmm. And just like, I'm going to leave you with, you know, stay with this man, watch our pile of gear. You probably told us to do some setup. I don't even remember. Yeah. Like, you know, st- we were, we stay in between CNN and ABC. <laughs> don't touch their gear. <laughs> don't let the communist media touch our gear. <laughs> yes. But like, this, right. is, this is what would happen. And this is how, how we grew up working with our dad. And we didn't even really realize probably until later. I mean, I was kind of oblivious as a kid. I don't think I even realized that that was really anything particularly exceptional until later. But now looking back, I can clearly see it was mm-hmm. particularly exceptional. And we just grew up 
being used to doing you know That's doing normal. things that were mm-hmm. yeah very yeah. unusual and it was just normal for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that I think reflects really well yeah. on Dad. <clears throat> Again, so many of these things. Um, only looking back on them now do I really understand how difficult they were, how expensive they were, how right. much time they took, how much money they took that you did with us and you prioritized in your family business, family over business. And it was just, well, if this client doesn't like the idea that one of my children will be coming with me, I need my children more than I need this client, even though they're incredibly important. Yeah. So. That, that came across so, yes. to us. And, and some of these sto- the stories are really amazing because people t- took note of that. How, who else was doing that in Washington? Well, right. nobody that I knew of. And, and so there was, I remember one time, and things like this would happen too. Uh, a reporter for the LA Times um, had met some of my children a- along the way in one of the situations. And then as his children were getting older and he was having trouble with them, he actually called me and said, can you take my children? You know, can you take them for a summer and just work with them and do with them what you do with your children? And, and so we, I had to say, no, I, we can't be, for several reasons for that. But that kind of, that kind of thing would happen. And going back to uh, this point that David made, did their mother and I expect them to act like adults? Yeah, we did. And when people ask us as parents, how do you launch, especially sons, into the world as adults at any age, you know, 20 or 25 or 30. You know, some of them aren't launched as adults even at 40 now. Yep. Um, so the question was, how do you do that? And when do you do that? And when, was, when is a good age to try to, to make as a goal for achieving that, the launching of a son into adulthood? Do you remember conversations we had about that? I, well, I, I remember I was, prob- I was the laziest one in the family hands down. Uh, yes, I was. I'm taking, I'm taking credit for being the laziest one in the family growing up. Uh, but I had a lot of flaws. I was very contentious, very argumentative. And no, I remember... No, you were Exactly. How dare you disagree with me? I was about to not argue with you oh, okay. there. Okay. But uh, my, I remember my dad telling me yeah, at, at a very young age, I was like 11 or 10, he would say, act 18. And it wasn't the immature, uh, you know, 18 that we have nowadays, and that's kind of the age where people yeah. run around and just do whatever yeah. they want and don't want accountability and all that. But it was, no, you need to act 18 like a man. That's the expectation that I have on you. So I remember he would just say that. He would say, act 18. And I'd be, I was 11, 12, or 13. So there, there were a lot of things that were expected of us and were also demonstrated to us and shown to us. And it's actually interesting because I get... I obviously, I'm very anti-carry permit. This is actually a good example and age restrictions regarding firearms. And people are like, well, how do you determine the maturity of an individual and the brain doesn't fully develop till you're 25, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, in history, we've had examples of young mm-hmm. men who were 13 commanding ships as captains. We've seen, we've seen mm-hmm. examples of young people taking great responsibility for things. And it all it comes down to is that child being you know, explain to this is what an adult does yeah. and then being held to many of those standards, maybe not all of those standards yeah. for various reasons, but held to that standard and also uh, shown that example. And that's something that dad did for us. He wasn't like, ah, boys will be boys. He's 16. He's going to do what he does. It's fine. Yeah. No, he expected more from us, explained it, would show it to yeah. us. And I think that's 
I kind of matured a little late. I kind of had a little wake-up call when I was 18 or 19. Was still trying to act like an adult when I was younger, when I was reminded. Um, and in some ways I was, and I was still very lazy. Uh, and that's one reason why I tried to kick T-Rex into high gear and was working 80, 90 hours a week, a week starting out. Um, that's but that, your, That's your definition of being lazy. Only 90 hours. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. But uh, that's <laughs> well, something that I think a lot of people fail to understand, that if you treat children as adults and you give them a good example as a parent or as, I mean, I'm around kids, you know, like your children and Isaac's children. Like, I need to set a good example to them of what a man is. And then they will hopefully want to act like a man themselves at a young age. And I think that's uh, one thing one thing that we can do to solve a lot of the problems nowadays because it's true there's a lot of people like dad said that aren't mature until they're 40 they're not yeah. grown up until they're 30 and i think it's a huge problem and i think uh i think dad did a really good job at you know pushing us outside of our you know kind of outside of our comfort yeah. zone as a as a young person as a child mm -hmm. as an adolescent and but also demonstrating to us what being a man is, what it looks like, and what it means. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah, No, Dad, well, Dad, we we talked about some of the sacrifices that you made in order to present a good example to us. But you also did a really good job, I think, of stretching us and, yeah. and yes. testing us and giving us hard, hard things. Can you uh, can you think of some of those that oh. that you thought worked particularly well? Well, you you know. Um, because work is such an important part of, of mm -hmm. how this works in the development of young men. To, to be able to ta tackle a job and just, just do it. So there were jobs, you know, outside jobs. Another thing that we did, my wife and I, we moved out of the city into the country so that we would have enough acreage so that we could have animals. Oh, do you Which remember was, the goats? Uh, yes. Yeah. And this uh, was yeah. a sacrifice that you <laughs> okay. made to be so far away from where you were working and so far removed from the social climbing and DuPont Circle and the cocktail parties mm -hmm. and all the ways that you get ahead, you left all that behind so that yeah. we would have the opportunities yeah. to get ahead in the yeah. things that we needed to learn. And and, and so um, responsibilities, they were put in charge of a dairy goat, a little dairy goat operation that was very, you know, very small. And one and, milk goat and one other goat, and then a few, <laughs> later they had babies and there yeah. were more goats. And well, were, technically we were outnumbered by the first yeah. one. Okay. Yeah. Certainly in strength and willpower. Right, <laughs> but but these these things can really help. Can it helps build responsibility? I saw a, a story not too long ago about when NASA was trying to choose men for their space program back in the '60s, and then in the '70s, they discovered that the most mature, responsible men they could get were were men who had been farm boys on the farms, because mm -hmm. they had they had learned so much character by doing the hard work mm -hmm. of, of doing the work on, on farms and right. the responsibility. And that's what they needed for these men. And that's, that's what they chose. But going back to this, I remember uh, a, job, a, couple, a couple of jobs I gave, gave Lucas. Because, because of the, the weakness that he mentioned to you, the stick to that he needed to have, uh, one was to dig a grave for one of our cows that died. It wasn't or, a full-grown cow. Okay, it was. It was needed to be like four feet deep or more. <laughs> okay, and, and so and once rigor mortis sets in, they don't fold as well. <laughs> okay, so it's going to be a that's that was a hard job for Lucas, yeah. and it took him many many hours. Was I ten? Uh, I, think I, was, um, I think I was ten or eleven. Okay. Yeah, that's Something about right. Like that, but, yeah. but but if you think of it, and I I try to get Lucas to see this, Lucas, you can what? Well, show me how you can dig one scoopful one shovel full of dirt, and he could do that just fine. Mm -hmm. He was good at that. All you have to do is just keep doing that. 
and keep going deep and deeper. And there, and there was, you know, and so, and I would come out and check on him and just see how he's doing and try to give him some encouragement to stick to it. But it was, it was a, you know, it looked like an impossible job, but he finished it. Mm -hmm. And there was another one. We, we had a, a load of gravel that was brought in that needed to be spread out flat. And it, it, you know, it was, the truck made it kind of into a big tall pyramid. And I gave him the job of flattening it out. Right. And again, you can do it one shovelful at a time. And it, and it showed him, it actually taught him that he could look at a job that looked like it was totally impossible. And then many, many hours later, in this case, I think it was two or three days later, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, it was two days. It, um, done, accomplished, mission accomplished. He, you know, he actually did it. And so there were things like these that we did. But mm -hmm. this, going back to this age 13 thing. Well, one of the interesting things about, about that is like those two events actually happened pretty close to each other. Yes, they did. And the interesting thing is, you know, we, so there were seven of us kids. And if you haven't had interaction with kids before, you will quickly discover when you do, they're all very different. And mom and dad really recognized that. Yeah. And they would cater their um, parenting with custom, to us on an design. individual basis. Yeah. Yeah. And so what, you know, what I needed and what Isaac needed and what Luke needed at mm -hmm. different stages in our life was different. And yeah. so yeah. a particular weakness would be recognized and a particular solution would be crafted to, to fit that. Right. And let, let me just say before we go any further, if you hear something that we say that we did, that, that we really like doing, <laughs> We're not recommending that as a formula no. for everybody who's out there. We just yeah. we're saying here's something that we did for this this young man, for this young man, and for this young man. Right. It, and it and it it would you know it worked and not, and not in a pragmatic sense. Just the principles but, of it. But the principles yeah. and being able to apply it, you know, it's combined with you know the, the prayers of a godly mother and the you know the grace yeah. of God in their life. There, there was there was success. So don't try to copy stuff that. Don't we go said. buy a cow, kill it, and tell your child <laughs> to dig a hole. Okay. The other the other so. thing I would say is, not I, I don't think everything worked. Like I don't think okay. you and mom actually ever figured out how to teach me how to write. Like actually like, mm -hmm. compose thoughtfully written yeah. content. Um, you tried. But like there, there's some battles that like, and I'm, I'm facing it with, with, with my kids. I have certain things that I have not yet figured mm -hmm. out how to solve those, mm -hmm. help that. It's not. Solve is not the right word. No, no, how to well, help. Yeah. What it is, <laughs> it's not like there is a problem that is inconveniencing me. I need to fix it. It's that child has a weakness and I will best serve that child if I can help them overcome that weakness. Mm -hmm. And I have repeatedly tried to explain to my children, this is what we're doing. How can I help you overcome this? And, mm -hmm. and there's some that, you know, are, some are wins. There's a couple things that right. just, well, you know, you never, I mean, I was very, very challenging in that respect. Well, but, <laughs> but you know, let me just say this on, on behalf of, of your mother and you. Mm -hmm. I saw a document that you wrote recently that was a legal document that was one of the, the most clear, articulate documents on the subject that I've ever seen. And you wrote it. You were the author of it. Sure, I so, just don't remember which one that is. Okay, I'll, t I'll tell you later. But but it was it was phenomenal, and yeah. and I wondered if I might have been able to compose and write something as as clearly as that one was. And so there, I mean, y you at least tried to yeah. learn. Well, it got okay? obviously got picked up at some point. Yeah, and that's yeah. and that's one yeah. of the other interesting things. Kids just mature at very different rates. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, and like I didn't uh -huh. learn to read till I was almost eight. You, I think, were. 
what six? Mm-hmm. A little sooner, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah and then we we had and, another and, I, and Isaac like was four. yeah, um, and, and Isaac was very idea. very early. Well, he learned to speak. Early firstborn children that don't have the competition for the parents' <laughs> time <laughs> sometimes yeah. get a lot more attention, and it's super helpful. Little head start. Yeah, <laughs> but, can but I, also the, the firstborn is the guinea pig because the parents true. are like. We don't know how this thing works yet. All right. It's experimental. Can, can we pause just for a second? I'm, sure. I'm going to, <laughs> I, I, I love talking about these things, and there's some phenomenal victories I, w- I would love to be able to go into in great detail. But let me tell you about a huge mistake that I made um, and that I see a lot of parents making, but I, I've got to tell you guys this. Um, one mistake is when you're investing in your children, you'll invest a whole lot more time. Like Isaac said, you know, he was the guinea, guinea pig. He was the firstborn. Mm-hmm. Um, we invested a whole lot of time into me. Here's the mistake I made. I tend to assume that all my children just know all the stuff that I know. Mm-hmm. And they don't. They have to be taught these things. And so I then, here's the second mistake oh, that I made that's poor. tied to, to that, yep, is that I pour a whole bunch of time into my firstborn because I have that time. I'm totally excited about him. I take him to the, you know, where did I take you on your fourth birthday? Do you remember that? I do. We went yeah. to the Smithsonian, but not the part that's open to the public. The restoration hangar where some of the airplanes that were not on display uh, are, are hidden back there. No, they actually are all available now in the second uh, Air and Space The Museum. better one. Right. The yeah. better one. But, but at this the time, was, it was closed, and it was, it was totally, super cool. Yeah, it was super. So anyway, I, I called him to make, make, because what I'm doing with him, I'm treating him like an adult um, at age two and age three and age four, you know. And so I'm taking him down there and describing him to him the, the, the philosophy of war, what is just war theory, you know, who are the bad guys in this war, who, who flew this plane, and why. Yeah. And here's the, the Enola Gay. And we're going to have to talk about, was it just and right for us to drop the atomic bomb on these people in Japan? Well, anyway, so back to my mistake. All right. Um, I invest a lot of time into him. I assume that all my other children have the same knowledge, even though I haven't invested as much in them. And it really is true. I invested less time in Dave just because things were getting busier. Less time in the other children. And here's Aimbot set, you know, uh, 7.0. 7.0. Um, and as of last night, 7.0. Yeah, and so the uh, you know, and he got less time than, yeah. than these these men. And I've and seen I, the exact same with my kids. Yeah, yeah, and so so I just wanted to pause for a second and just say, mm-hmm. um, please don't make yeah. please don't make that mistake. Try to make time for your younger children. Yeah, and re- realize that they need to have the world interpreted for them. You know, whether it's the Enola Gay or, or whether it's, you know, the billboards on the side of the road that you, you see when you're driving down the road with them. You've got, you've got to interpret that. Say, that's wrong, that's ugly, that's bad. Or that's good, and that's right. You know, and so the, these are things that all our children need, need to be getting right. every day of our life. And so this is what I so appreciated being married to Victoria and, and being a parent with Victoria because she could see, like I could see, and we were both so totally committed to bringing up these children. It's like, you know, it's like the adventure of a thousand lifetimes. Because what we're investing in, we're investing in, in you know, here boys who've already had offspring, you know, more children. And we believe that Lucas will and, and that other, others will in our family. You know, if, if they each had seven children like we did, you know, that's 49 grandchildren that we had, and each, if each of them did, that's over 4,000 descendants just in 
you know, three generations. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so it's, I mean, basically we're investing not just in, you know, this young man until he turns 18 and goes out and makes a life for himself. Um, we're investing in the future, we're investing in many future generations. By that time that we, we sacrifice mm -hmm. to give this young son and then this young son, the investment will pay off really big. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I was going to say there's hundreds of people watching, you know, if, if the people are listening to these ideas and having children, that's a, that's a lot. That's, a lot that's of how you people. take over a country, actually, <laughs> just you know, well, put that out there. Um, well, well, it is, or how you build a country. And see, that's, and so that's part of getting back to your question. What, what was I trying to do with the building business that we started? I wanted to try to build a country, and in our case, rebuild a country. Mm -hmm. Because the more that I would learn about, and when my wife and I got married, we didn't know what we were doing raising a family. We didn't, ha we didn't really have much of a vision for, you know, sons. When, you know, if I want to inspire my sons to grow up and, I, and just say, hey, act like you're 18, that's not good enough. I need to give him a vision. If I say, you know, act like you're 13, like mm -hmm. Farragut did, mm -hmm. when, when he was able to command a ship, a ship of war, you know, a pretty large ship, mm -hmm. um, I need to give him a picture of a heroic man so that he can model his right. life after that. So we were learning as much as we could from original documents, not textbooks. We didn't use textbooks mm -hmm. in our homeschooling I think, adventure. I think I had one science textbook and I read it, I used it for maybe a week <laughs> and then I strenuously appealed and <laughs> it got it got done. Yeah. Now we, he did learn science. Oh, I loved science. Yeah. And we did Just use not textbook. you know textbooks Sa are the worst. Saxon math is, is a textbook series that we approve of, but but in terms of yeah. history, the history textbooks are wrong and they're and they in mislead. Mm -hmm. When in and basically in all the cases I know of with English language American history textbooks, they're wrong. It's wrong history. So we go back to the original documents, the source documents. We find mm -hmm. out about these good men. And the more that we learn about it, the more we realize our country is broken. Right. And so this is the reason I wanted to start a political consulting company to see if I could get in there and try to help fix some things that need to be fixed. And so that's, you know, we're, we're keep circling back around to some of the good questions you men have, yeah. but that's, that's part of what, what is involved in parenting. We need to hold out to them models of, of the noble right. and the just mm -hmm. and the honorable so that they know so that they know how to act. Yeah. Right. And and then as parents, and here's the hard part, parents need to try to set the very best example they can personally themselves of what those things look like. And yeah, did I want to oh, so yes, back to your question about sacrifice. I wanted them to see that I was willing to sacrifice everything. For, for them to be able to set on a good foundation and then launched into adulthood at the earliest possible age. And I'd love to tell a story about when you were 13, if, oh, well, if we have time. I, no, oh, we, we surely don't. We're, we're <laughs> okay, so you, well, okay. I'm, I'm, you have a, you I have have a comment. comment. Yeah. So I think this is really important. Um, growing up, my dad did not, we did not watch sports. Like none of us, we, we're not into sports at all. Dad never watched sports. I now, mean, we we now, watched like a couple parts of a couple <clears throat> games of football. Now, before we before I was married, yes. I loved it and watched it all the time, and it was like an idol to me. But when I got married, I had to figure out, okay, what kind of culture do I want to build into my family? Right. That one went right. So, okay. And so, like growing up, you know, we we didn't have sports. Dad didn't have 
a copious list of hobbies. He did not have, I mean, the only hobby he really had was oil painting and that I can remember. Mm -hmm. And you didn't do it enough, I would argue. <laughs> but um, he didn't have this list of toys that he was accumulating for himself. You know, it was... It was all work stuff. It was, and it was work stuff, education, educating himself, and spending time with family. And yeah. I, going back, I wish we could reprioritize some of the work time towards family time. And this will forever be a grudge against Hillary Clinton. But, <laughs> uh, well, the Clintons together. But, both of and them. Her, both of them. Both, yeah. But, her. Um, but yeah, you're like, you really clearly modeled, like we did not have an entertainment culture growing up. That mm -hmm. entertainment was not what we lived for. You work so you can go home and be entertained. But we did have a lot of really yeah. good, enjoyable time. And we did things like, sure. well, I got to go see the uh, Smithsonian airplanes. I don't know about when you, you were. <laughs> I didn't get to no, we did I... stuff like that that was entertaining and fun. Well, and our parents worked hard yeah. so that there was time to do yeah. stuff like that. And, and Dad, the projects that we worked on mm -hmm. were fun. Yeah, we did because we worked on projects with Dad yeah. a lot um, growing up. And the thing is, if you're not, like we didn't really realize everyone else just watches just TV. TV, it slowly dawned on us <laughs> as we got older and we saw more, you know, other people. Like, you know, when you're a four-year-old and you don't know that just everyone watches TV all the time, you know, whatever, you're like, you, you don't do that. And then later you're like, the, what I, the, the term I've taught my kids is screen zombies. Like, don't <laughs> be a screen zombie. And, um, and that program, like, we'll, we'll be in a... In a, a, a restaurant or something and they'll see this modern children's programming and they're like that's a brain thief it's specifically designed to steal <laughs> the attention of your brain and make you look and like it's a brain thief and like you don't want to be controlled by that thing like so dad communicated that to us and now we're continuing to try to communicate to it to our kids mm -hmm. we're not modern luddites that don't you know there's some people that oppose mm -hmm. Better Screen. define Luddite, okay? Okay, yeah. the Luddite is anti-technology. Yeah, so anti-progress. Yeah, so there yeah. are these people that went around smashing um, stuff because they were grouchy and they thought their economic... Um, were they bad Black stuff? Black were Lives Matter? Is that one? No, it was okay. a long Someone time else. ago. And okay. they were wrecking manufacturing machinery, so... Oh, but, Antifa. No. Oh, no, someone else. Oh, sorry, yeah. Sorry, no, the Luddites were a long time ago. So, uh, okay. Well, back to... Back to yeah. um, but like launching sons. But the, but okay. the interesting thing was, and I think that this came through very much growing up, you sacrificed extensively for us. Mm -hmm. um, and that just set a really uh, deep impression in us. Mm -hmm. And that it wasn't, this is another thing that I want to bring up, it wasn't just that you were sacrificing for us because we were now the center of the universe. You wanted to pass on to us a vision that was right. bigger than we were, mm -hmm. and well, demonstrating that it was bigger than you were. Well, and and discipline yeah. and study and work is more important than fleeting pleasure. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, you know, just whatever. Like we, I remember we watched a few games of football. It was interesting. We played. We played sports. That well, was. I remember something Dad did with me, and I very much appreciated this. Is and some of you guys will probably make fun of me and us for it, but. Uh, when we lived in Texas, uh, he actually took uh, me and one of my other older brothers, uh, Ben and Noah, to play tennis uh, three times a week, four mm -hmm. times a week. So 
we didn't watch sports and just veg out on the couch. If we were going to do something with sports, it was something we actually went out and did for reasons right. of fitness, hand-eye coordination, skill, spending and time together. What? The love of the game. Yes. Like um, so we did that for about two years, and I haven't really played tennis in forever, but I enjoyed that because that was something that I got to do with Dad, but it was also something that we went out and did. We didn't just get on the couch and watch something together, which is technically spending time together, but it's not it's really at the same. It's very passive. It's really not at the same level. Uh, I would prefer a land party over that because yeah. you're actually yeah. playing with people, having to make decisions, and we're not opposed to entertainment. I don't want people to think that. We've had people in the past say, oh, yeah. the Botkins, they're killjoys, don't like anything. No, we we like well, purposeful fun and spending time with people. And um, all video games prior to the original Unreal Tournament, yes. Yes, and That's where playing Command and Conquer. I like Call of Duty, obviously. I play with my friends, <laughs> and it's one of my ways of just checking in with them and hanging out. I don't really play by myself because it's boring. Um, but So we're not anti-entertainment. We what, what Dad kind of educated to us is there needs to be additional purposes of some sort. If we are going to watch a movie together, let's talk about it. If we're going to watch, uh, I remember one thing that we did, uh, this is another learning thing for me. Um, it was right after Black Hawk Down came out. Uh, I think I was uh, 14 or something like that, or 12, and dad wanted me to watch it with him. So we watched through it and he talked to me about it because dad recognized this is an accurate war film, at least as far as Hollywood is going to make one. And he wanted me to see it. And he wanted to talk about the horrors of war and kind of show that to me. And I was 12, so you know some parents would probably be like, oh, no, they can't watch it. Yeah. Although nowadays it would probably be, we, no, you, yeah. every, kids are watching everything now. And Dad took, but, us, Dad took Isaac and me to see Saving Private Ryan in the theater. Yeah. We didn't go to the theater very often, yeah. um, but it was typically something... Fairly yeah. substantial there's, there's addition, there were additional lessons. additional yeah. reasons yeah. behind uh, just the the passive entertainment reason of just you know well, watching a thing. Now we did have because we were involved in media and because Isaac was doing computer animation work, we would go see special effects movies like oh the new Star Wars. It has the best CG that's been done so far. That was a bit mm. of a letdown. Jar Jar was. But no, anyway, we, pinnacle of our no, time. but like, but that was something that would be like. So when we go to see a movie, it'd be like, it's a really important lesson, or yeah. we want to see the technology. That's well, kind of like what we were talking about many, many lives ago about using the time well. If you're playing a game, if you're watching a movie, you can do it passively with your brain off, or you can yeah. use do the opportunity to learn, study, yeah. Yeah. and think through the thing. Mm -hmm. So, what what would be? Um, what was it that you were preparing us for exactly? Did you well, have a, a real, I don't know, it's a, it's a long discussion, but how would you sort of summarize? One of the things that you have said in the past that you, um, that you told us over and over again is the world is a battleground and not a playground. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. And, and yes. that's something that people were really uncomfortable with. Now, if you watch the news, I think everybody agrees that the world is a battleground at some level. Mm -hmm. But... Um, what were you trying to get us to think about when right. you were talking to us about the battleground? Well, in, in the United States of America, I mean, Victoria and I want, wanted, your mother and I wanted you to grow up to really be mature and responsible young men. Mm -hmm. um, we're trying to invest our time with, with everything we've got. And when we started, like I said, we really didn't know how to do it. How do we, you know, so we would try to get every little in a minute of time with you that we could, reading to you, finding materials, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it was hard to find some. 
even the names that we gave you when you were infants. We wanted to try to find anything we could that would help inspire you to be good men, great men, like your, your, your namesakes. Mm -hmm. Like your names. What does your name mean? Uh, bringer of light and protector of men. Okay. Are you doing that? Trying. You are, yeah. You're succeeding on and, YouTube, even, and you're and you're pretty awesome at it. And now, now, <laughs> Just don't don't judge it by the YouTube comments. Okay. The, <laughs> now, when we see comments um, coming in and say, "Man, you guys are totally awesome," um, what their mother and I try to do is to say, "Wait, stop, hold on." Yeah. The truth is, you're not totally awesome. Mm -hmm. The right. truth is, you're beginner awesome. Yeah. And so what, yeah. what's, what you need to be, you need to be way more awesome next year than you are this year. Lucas, you need to be way more awesome in two years than you are now. Mm -hmm. do, doing things, doing the political stuff, doing the training stuff, doing the education stuff. And so this is what we, this is what we tried to tell them. And you know, people mm -hmm. would flatter them when they were little and they were doing better than most 13 year olds or 14 or 15. And we would remind them, no, wait, stop. The, the goal is a lot bigger than this. Mm -hmm. yeah. And and so, uh, are we are we proud of them? Yes, their mother and I are very proud of them, and yes, they're doing some awesome things, but, <clears throat> and they're learning every year to be better communicators, mm -hmm. and that's that's been important to us. But we yeah. want, um, we, well anyway, back to your question. We, we, were, we were trying to find uh, any tool that would help us get you into adulthood, mm -hmm. yeah. and then adulthood that is is better. Now, the the battleground, not a playground. So here's what we're we're trying to work as hard as we can with these young children, these young mm -hmm. boys, and they're living in a culture called the United States of America, that is teasing them and pulling them and tempting them all the time to play more, to be playboys, you know, to mm -hmm. taste taste of the of the um, of the sins of the world and enjoy them. And you know you can't go really an hour in the United States without really being tempted by something that's really big. Go play here. Yeah. Invest your life in play. Invest your life in not in non-responsibility. Don't rock the boat. Just yeah. Just oh, go yeah. down so, the water slide. So th so that's one reason that we continued as a maxim to try to remind you. Hey, look, no, the world's a battleground. Yeah. If we can stop and we can see the goal, you know, basically an orderly civilization, true civil society based on the blueprint that's been really been found mm -hmm. and discovered in scripture and that's where we need to go for you know it's not my blueprint that i'm teaching them i'm trying to teach them higher ground a, a higher more refined vision for it that's been really made by the creator that's where we have to start so on the battleground all those ideas are being destroyed and scattered and mm -hmm. and and we're seeing a country that really was a responsible nation, that really was a phenomenally mature nation and a successful nation being destroyed around us. That's why I went to Washington and tried to do what right. I could there. So um, it's going to be a battleground. The battles will be different in your generation than they were in mine. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when we were in Washington, the battles that were being fought were very different than the ones being fought now. Now, there's some similarities that go back mm -hmm. to, of course, the right. Frankfurt School in the, nine, the mm -hmm. 1920s, and I've taught, I've taught my sons about that. And so right. the things we're seeing with Antifa right now. Underlying ideologies. Underlying ideologies for revolution and revolutionary fervor go back to there. And they've been built on consistently all the way up to the point you see right now, like the John Brown Gun Club, you know, copy mm. on there. It's come straight out of that. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, did that answer your question? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I was, I was just kind of because 
as a company, obviously T-Rex has specific goals and statements that we make about personal responsibility, about using firearms for self-defense and the defense of others, uh, even national defense. Um, these are all things that you were giving us and even things that, um, that you modeled for us. So I remember being probably 11 or 12 years old and doing a video production for Gun Owners of America. Yeah. So these were things that you were, you were not only telling us, but actually providing opportunities for us to see the fight, to see right. the ideological conflict and war happening. So I think that that really helped all of us to see this idea that, that life, the world, is a battleground and not a playground, right. and that we have responsibilities in the fight. You just... You don't just have responsibilities to protect your family inside your castle mm -hmm. doctrine. You have responsibilities in the ideological warfare um, that is happening in the world, right. in the culture war. So that is something that um, you yeah. did a great job of impressing on us. And uh, even though you did a great job, I still find myself with my own kids. Like, how am I um, going to frame this for them in a way that is understandable and helpful so right yeah yeah because ba those battles are always fresh and new explaining those ethical and yes. historical things and yeah. um so boom okay you good okay good. okay keep going like, that's how you know it's live um one of the things um so when you first started home when you and mom first started homeschooling us yeah you had a rough idea that you wanted something um, different and better for us than what you what you had experienced in public school, right? Correct. But yep. then when we were, what, after the thing with the Clintons, that's when you started studying education, and that's when you really started to see the importance of home education. Right. Now, now we, we saw it, my, um, your mother and I saw the importance of that. I mean, even when we were enslaved to the government system when we were young right you know grade school junior high school high school it was a prison and we both knew that we hated it and we wanted out mm -hmm. and we knew we would never put our children in there i think you um, hated it more than mom yeah i <laughs> bill she uh, she could uh, she was able to adapt and be able to find things to stimulate her mind she would you know put a different book inside this textbook and be able to read something of value and, and not cause any waves and, and just be happy with that, you know? And, and I was, I was more, more jittery than this young man here um, who would have gone crazy in kindergarten if he'd been put into there. Yeah. Um, I just, I wanted out. Okay, so we knew that. And home education actually starts, we have to remember this, really when the child is in the womb. You know, scientists now understand and realize that a baby in the womb can not only distinguish between his mother's voice and other voices, a baby in the womb can distinguish between his mother's language and other languages, mm -hmm. even before the baby's born. So the baby's learning things even in the womb. So when you, when you young men were right. babes in arms with your mother, she was teaching you at home. She right. was teaching you things. <laughs> your first two words were, what's that? When you were, when you were yes. I think before you were two years old. <laughs> Because you wanted me, as I would carry you around in my arm, and you would point, what's that? You wanted me to interpret the world for you, and I would be doing that. That's all home education. Mm -hmm. um, we taught you the English language without even knowing we were doing that. You just picked, you picked it up. Yep. And so, uh, yes, we realized that it's extraordinarily important. We realized that after I began studying 
the history of education in 1992 that the government school system really is so unconstitutional and so destructive of the culture it actually really does need to be dismantled and it could be if only about 28 percent of the families would pull their children out and this is what's got the public education establishment so worried this is why the uh, the scholars at Harvard University are coming out and saying that it's so dangerous that children, yes, parents even are. think about it. Because <laughs> in the last two months, children have discovered they would rather be at home with their parents and their siblings. <laughs> parents have discovered that what they were getting, what the children were getting in school was so bankrupt that they, they've got to find an alternative and they do not want to put mm -hmm. their children back in. So we really do want to see that happen if we can, the dismantling yeah. of that system. Well, and it's so funny. I've been reading articles about these parents that were, you know, they had <clears throat> homeschooling thrust on them. And in some cases, the school is still providing some semblance of a, yeah, of a, a sign. curriculum. Yeah, yeah a curriculum, like you have these assignments. And I read this one, this one poor article and there was this mother and she was freaking out like, I, my daughter has these six English assignments, and she has this assignment to create a coffee table capable of supporting a dictionary, nothing using nothing but cardboard and tape and paper. And I was like, what practical benefit do these assignments have? And these, so they had all this busy work assignments that were given. Well, you know why it was? It was because parents were saying to the schools, all these assignments you're giving me only take an hour, and then we're done with school. What do I do with my kids after this? Yeah, so, so they teachers just load them with just yeah, like we. <laughs> Yeah, and so it's, it's interesting that some parents loaded down with this list of busy work assignments, freaked out, and wanted to give the kids back. Others started to see, from the articles I've seen, you know, this is really not that helpful. Like, for us, we would spend, if we were diligent, what, two to three hours a day on school? On the, yes, on the school type school. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah, but like, we'd have, like, We did us, a lot of... Learning extracurricular. Sure, but learning like we'd have. Yeah, but the bookwork. The book. The bookwork book took me hours, but well, could be done in like forty-five minutes. And then it was reading after that, or running around yeah. the farm, taking care of animals, learning from well, other people what's going on. Well, but the my, the schoolwork itself didn't need to take yeah. eight hours. Well, and and for yeah. us, a huge por portion of it was just reading. Um, yeah. Mom would get books. History books. She was very clever. She would get books and just park them. Like she would chain, rotate the books, but like she'd put some on the coffee table. She'd put some next to the sofa, and then since there's not a TV going 24/7, you know, we would sit down and like, oh look, a new book. What's book in this on book? Tanks. And then it was like, yeah. And so there was not a whole lot of you must read these books. There was that, but then probably most of the reading that happened was just it just happened it organically us. because mm -hmm. you're like. Well, this book is fascinating. This one has really cool pictures, and now that I know how to read it, I can read the caption. They'll tell me what this thing is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do we have time for another story? We have several more. Yeah, and then we'll have yeah. to. Uh, okay. We'll have to go. Yeah. All right. One, th one thing, you know, in in terms of, you know, what were we trying to teach you all? You know, basically, mm -hmm. in a nutshell, it was to be able to teach yourselves anything. Yeah. Because if we could mm -hmm. succeed in that, then you would be able to do anything in life, yep, you know, right. like learn CNC machines and get that started. And so here's what happened when Isaac was uh, 13. You know, I, I don't remember exactly what I had been telling him and telling David about, you know, you've got to grow up and, and launch yourselves into manhood as soon as you can. They used to do it at age 13. Apparently, Isaac picked up the idea that when he turned 13, he would get to work with his father. And be done with school. 
And so on his 13th birthday, he showed up into my studio office where I was, said, here I am reporting for duty. And he, you know, and he was ready, and, you know, he, he wanted to. Now, I didn't know exactly what to do with that, but I did try with this, this attitude that he had that was so eager to learn and get involved in the warfare, because that's what I was doing, I was doing warfare. He, um, he was ready. And then when we got a call one time from the U.S. Naval Undersea Warfare Office through the Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Laboratory to do a job that they needed to have done because of Muammar Gaddafi and what he was doing with undersea mines, and it, you know, it was a terrorism deal, um, we had to sit down and talk. And I realized we were not quite, my, my studio was not capable of, well, actually my studio was capable of doing it. I didn't have the technical knowledge to be able to pull it off. Isaac came to me at age 13 and said, Dad, I think I could, I think I could do it. It was basically a project that involved a lot of 3D imagery. I think I was actually 14. But well, I think you yeah. turned 14 that winter. Oh, during the project. Yeah, yeah. during the yeah. project. So, yeah. so basically, I said to Isaac, okay, now let me teach you something about business. Um, we always under-promise and over-deliver. And I have no idea how we can deliver this. <laughs> You know, and Isaac, if we were to step into this, we would absolutely have to over-deliver on something that we've never done before. But Isaac, you know, he appealed to his father and said, Dad, I think I can learn it because I've taught myself to learn these things and apply these things. I think I can pick up this gigantic manual on this particular program, learn it, and actually apply it to this project and get it done. So actually, he convinced me and we were able to convince the project manager at Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Laboratory. Isaac became the project manager on this, now under my supervision. But he was, you know, he was calling down there to the, to the, to the lab, talking to these high-level scientists about what was going on. and Being, as, uh, they would assume that I was a woman because my voice hadn't broken yet. <laughs> so, and I thought that, that was hilarious as okay. a younger brother. But, but anyway... Um, <laughs> It was mission accomplished. We did it. I mean, the admirals and everybody who was involved commended, you know, this young man. They didn't know how young he actually was, um, but they were able to pull it off, pull it off in time, help, you know, help the world, help the country and what we were trying to do. And so his mother and I were very encouraged to see that if we can just simply teach them to learn, they can teach themselves anything and then apply it. And then, so we knew we were on track with something then, that if we could do that with our other children, it would be successful, so. Well, uh, that was, man, I don't, I don't know how to close I, out a, a, I actually an awesome something. live like this. Oh, I have know? an action point. So yeah. one of the things that we were gonna talk about, but we didn't get to because there was so many conversational points. We did mention the importance of honor. Now, one of the right. things that the mm -hmm. dad has said several times to us, I'm not sure if he said it in the live, but that you weren't a perfect dad. And I have already had to tell my children many, many times that I am not a perfect dad. And I've had to apologize to them for many right. things, even though they're still tiny children. Hmm. Um, but it is really important that we be able to honor what is good, even if it isn't perfect, which is not something that our current culture really no. knows how to do. If something's we, wrong, the whole thing has to be burned down. And then somehow utopia right. arises and, from the ashes. And we see, no. we see this so often, and we mm -hmm. see it with so many children. Um, you know, they, every, the right of every boy is to believe that his dad is the best dad in the entire world, right? Um, and every husband is allowed to say his wife is the most beautiful and best wife in the whole world, and that's just their right and privilege, and it's correct for them to do so. But at some point, every boy, though he thinks his dad can fight the whole world and win, 
at some point he does start to see that his dad has defects. And that probably happens when the boy is about three, if he's sharp, and later if he's more dull. <laughs> Did you know Clara said something funny to me? What? The other night. She said, I afraid of bad guys. Bad guys afraid of you. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you at some point you start to realize there are, you know, my dad has weaknesses, you know, and I have weaknesses. The first question is like, how does he handle that? And, da mm -hmm. and dads should be willing to say to their kids, I'm sorry when they fail them and, and confess and repent. Um, but honoring is, so many kids we've seen fail to do this. They see, oh, my dad is, is defective. And they disregard all the good things and burn it down, as it were, and reject that relationship and just move on or, or whatever. And we've seen that, unfortunately, in a number of cases. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to, and we see to that, do, especially when you're hurt. By yeah. Yeah. 1% or 2%. Yeah, or, or even 10. I mean, yeah. I know of a case where the dad was an incredibly defective dad, and the son has confronted the dad over these incredible defects and yet is still trying to be an honorable son mm -hmm. and honor what is honorable while pointing out and confronting over what was wrong. Um, and these are things that are very challenging, but like it, in America right now, I think the concept of honor and being able to recognize defects and recognize mm -hmm. what's honorable, mm -hmm. what we can be thankful for while also saying, eh, this was not good over here. I think that that's dead in America. Yeah. And we talked about this before the live, like we really want to talk about this because mm -hmm. it's important. You know, we yeah. can look at our dad and say, you know, I wish dad had done this differently maybe, or maybe this was a, a weakness. Maybe he erred like Lucas more towards being a workaholic, mm -hmm. but there were all these great things that, that, that we mm -hmm. had mm -hmm. and we can learn from that. And then now being a father myself, I see how hard it is to be, um, a father and be a really good father mm -hmm. and it makes me more all the more appreciative of what dad did for us mm -hmm. and the example that he that he was um, so I think that this this lesson of gratitude and honor is one that everyone in America should give thought to and should try mm -hmm. to learn how to how to, to do um, it's it's a difficult yeah. lesson it's an important lesson everywhere yeah. But I think it's a really important lesson during Father's Day. And yeah. we've been talking for about an hour, and we really only talked about the good stuff. And so I think it'd be easy for you guys watching at home to be like, oh, it was just perfect, everything was perfect. And that is not actually true, but I also don't want you to feel like um, because we had this perfect dad, uh, your dad looks even worse by comparison. No, this is an opportunity for you to think right. of Something that your father, uh, the, something that he's done that is honorable, something that is worth honoring, that you appreciate, that you learn from, that you grew through, that he sacrificed for you. Yeah. And, and take this Father's Day, um, mm -hmm. take the opportunity to, to let him know how much you appreciate right. that. Even if, even if that's the only thing, uh, is that one thing that you can think of, it still is worth doing yeah. that this Father's Day. And the yep. thing is, this is something that I have to tell my kids. Sometimes one of my kids will get into a rubbish mood and they're just really grouchy and cantankerous and... If I challenge them and I say, I want you to tell me five things that you're thankful for, you know, and they'll start and they're like, there's nothing. And they're like, no, <laughs> you have to give me something. Like, and then they're like, I'm thankful that we have food. And like, go more, more. And then, they, then they, they go. By the time they get to point five, typically their attitude has significantly changed. Mm -hmm. When we let ourselves go along and we don't think in terms of gratitude, 
we're not actually like recognizing what's good and, and, and worthy of being thankful for, you know, it looks like there's nothing. Um, but when we actually challenge ourselves, like, okay, let's think logically and rationally here and let's actually list the things out, we start to realize how incredibly we're blessed. Um, and even a father that, you know, maybe he did just come home from work and veg on the sofa. Or maybe, you know, he, you know, he abandoned you when you were young or whatever. In most cases, there's still a lot of stuff there that, that a person could be grateful for. And, um, and that's, the, that's what I would like to challenge everyone with is to mm -hmm. practice honor, practice the first commandment in the Bible that has a promise associated with it, and uh, honor your father and mother and look for those things that are good and, and be thankful for them. Yeah. Yep. So in closing, I just want to say thank you, Dad, for yep. everything that you did for us and still doing for us as well, yeah. advising us on, because obviously T-Rex things are continuing to happen, which is super cool. Thanks to you guys for that. Yep. And that has presented challenges here and there. We had a lot of long meetings this afternoon, and Dad's a part of some of those, and he talks to us about some of the hard decisions that need to be made. So thank you for continuing to teach us things. You never graduate. Nope, that's nope. another big problem. You never graduate. You're always learning things. And that oh, was my... another thing that Dad taught us. Yes. And Mom as well. And uh, that's something I'm also very grateful for. So please keep teaching us things. And mm -hmm. so happy Father's Day to you. Oh, and to them. I'm the odd one out. This is actually great. Yeah, I don't have kids. Dads. So three dads. So happy Father's Day to all of you and to you guys as well. And uh, perhaps you guys will see your dad on here again. Yeah. And we can actually do some Q&A. That would be pretty cool. So you guys can actually ask us some questions about possibly politics or humanitarian stuff, uh, some different cool things. He can talk about basically everything. So yeah. right. we, we can keep that in mind for next time. So yes. thanks so much, guys. Thanks we'll see for you around. watching. Thanks for helping us honor our dad. Go tell your dads you're thankful for them. Happy Father's Day. Yep. yep.